welcome to episode five of the Girls to the Front podcast. I'm your host, Harriet JW, and today we are joined by Abby Leland, absolute legend in the music supervisor and sync space. Her company, Leland Music, is the company behind the John Lewis Christmas ad music. How amazing is that? In this episode, Abby provides her top tips for those looking to get a sync deal. Make sure you subscribe, download and review this podcast and thanks to everybody that's done it so far because you helped us reach number two in the Apple Podcast Music Charts. We are passionate about helping female talent break through and get the recognition that they deserve. And if this is something that you need to do, get in touch with us because we have just launched a beta program of our brand new course for female talent looking to build an income and a career. But for now, it's on with the show. I am super excited about this conversation as I know it's a topic that is popular amongst artists and is one of the few ways that emerging artists can make decent money in today's industry. We are talking about sync with the master of sync herself, Abby Leland. But before, we've got our quick fire round. Abby, are you ready? I'm ready. Red or white wine? Red. Watch a film or watch TV? A film. Jay-Z or Kanye? Kanye old school. Old school Kanye. Festivals or villa holidays? Oh, I wish I would say festivals, but I'm sorry, it's villa holidays. <laughs> Westlife or Boyzone? I, I wouldn't know where to begin. But Backstreet Boys <laughs> or NSYNC? NSYNC. Oasis or Blur? Blur. New music or old music? Oh, no, that's, I mean, that's just unfair. Pass. North London or South London? North. Cool. I, do you know what? I could do, I could just do a whole podcast of Quickfire. <laughs> I know. That's right. Yeah, could we just do that? And I don't actually have to write, think too much. I don't know how, I don't know how many guests I'd get. <laughs> You're just going to answer my questions for an hour. Um, I mean, that's what we're going to do <laughs> anyway. Cool. So, Abby, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm going to get it out of the way very early on. What are you and your company best known for? Well, we do a lot of advertising and brand work. So we're known for, I would probably have to say, the John Lewis ads, as well as TV series like Top Boy and more recently Small Axe. Abby, it's not just the John Lewis ads. Which John Lewis ads are you responsible for finding the music for? The John Lewis Christmas ads. The John Lewis Christmas ads. The every artist dream. And (laughs) let's get it out of the way. Which is your favourite John Lewis Christmas ad? maybe the Lily Allen one just because it was Lily Allen I think and what song was that remind me the Keen song so somewhere only we know do you know that I am we're not going to go into this topic because it's a big one but when I was um younger I was involved in a car accident I was in a coma and I always likened myself to the bear from the bear and the hare (laughs) who went to sleep because I slept through Christmas Oh, wow. So I, oh I likened myself to the bear in the bear and the hare advert who woke up after Christmas. Oh, I definitely want to know more about that. That is a conversation for another day. Another podcast. I mean, you could probably suggest that we do the whole John Lewis Christmas advert around me and that fact. But <laughs> I told my mum when it came out that I thought I was like the bear and I don't think she'd stop crying until Boxing Day. Right, we're going to go in with the big question that this podcast is focused around. We're going to dive into it, but just quickly, is it a simple question, how to get a sink? Um, No, it's not. There isn't really any sort of magic formula to landing a sink, but 
at the same time, there are things that artists and writers can do to better navigate in, in the kind of sync area of the industry. But yeah, there certainly isn't a kind of easy, easy answer to it. Which is good because this podcast would be very short if there was. So we will get into all of that. But firstly, could you just explain, like, what is a sync? I mean, that is quite a simple answer, really, because it's it, it's just simply the placement of attractive visual media content. Great. And do you spell it with an H on the end or not? Oh, well, you do not. But I did used to many years ago. And I feel like everyone used to. And then they stopped. So there we go. Why is that? No idea. Literally no, no idea. And when everyone started changing it without the H, I thought they were all getting it wrong. But apparently not. That is now the industry norm. The evolution of etymology, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I think that, and, and all the younger generation never even knew we used to spell it with an H on the end. Well, there you go, guys. It's just the lost H. The first revelation of today's show. <laughs> <laughs> the lost H. Oh my God, maybe that's my John Lewis advert. <laughs> The Lost H. (laughs) Right, coming soon. Okay, so music licensing, sync, are they the same thing? No, uh, music licensing is sort of part of sync. It's the sort of final contracting stage of it, really. So there seems to be a kind of um, vibe around the music industry right now as sync has um, become a way that artists, you know, see, see the potential for making money. Do you think that is a a notion that's correct? Do you think this is a good path for emerging artists to be following? Yes, I do. But I think that it's, I think it's really important for Sync to be part of the bigger picture. So for any emerging artist, it's going to be part of everything else you're doing from releases to live shows to getting playlisted to radio plays you know so I think having sync as part of that is is very valid but I think the kind of notion of breaking an artist off the back of a sync is something that makes me a little bit uncomfortable and is it a um you hear a lot of people say oh I make very syncable music is that a complete myth or is that just somebody you know, there's, you know, there's a notion of cinematic music. Is, is that what people mean when they say that? I think cinematic would be a much nicer way to put it. I mean, the, the syncable is, has, has become this, this word. And I think even if you could break down what that meant, it's probably still not something to say. Okay, so don't say that, guys. No, no, <laughs> nobody makes syncable music. I think it always makes the music supervisor cringe a bit. Yeah. And how often do you get emails from artists who make syncable music? They definitely comes through, you know, artists saying, I think my music would be good for sync. I'm not sure that is the, the best approach because there's something about it that straight away feels like it's somehow degrading of the music. Because the moment you try and make something specifically for sync in general, I think you're heading down the wrong path so so no one wants to be sent music where it sounds like that is maybe what someone has done which that which if you're sending music saying it's good for sync it kind of gives that impression yeah and also what does sync even mean like you know you mentioned earlier that you are um helping top boy come up with music and you know, top boy music is going to be very different from Game of exactly. Thrones music, which is going to be very different from Love Island. So. Exactly. Yeah. And I think film and TV and advertising and games and 
branded content and trailers, you know, all of those have sinks and all of those are obviously dramatically different from from one to the other. Yeah. So I think the the messaging would be is to create the music that you want to create and, you know, make music that's true to you and then think about, you know, what that music might suit and 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 try and Absolutely. And and I think that's what most artists do. So I think it's more actually about their messaging when they're approaching people because like I was saying it sort of gives the wrong impression if you're approaching someone saying hey this is good for syncs actually you just want to be talking about the music and and the artist rather than um rather than the sync as such we'll go into that a little bit more in a minute because I think that's really interesting but I just want to go back a little bit and talk about how your career in music licensing began so so Talk us through at first when you decided this was something you wanted to do and how you grew your business from there. I I started off quite young in the film industry as, as a runner on film production when I was um, 17. And then from that, I managed to kind of elbow my way into a, into a record label and had a, got my first job at an independent record label that was compiling um, dance compilations. So that was my sort of first taster of of kind of curation and music licensing. And I then went on and worked at a label that was re-releasing heavyweight vinyl. And they were re-releasing a lot of old soundtracks and also scores um, from well-known film composers back in the day, like Lalo Schifrin and John Barry. So it opened up my world a lot to to soundtracks and film composers. And having worked in film and music, I then started to question what jobs there were in that specific area. And then after much research and knocking on people's doors to find out, I discovered that there there was, in fact, a job called music supervisor. So I think I just decided then and there that that's what I wanted to do. And um, I continued to knock on doors and, and find out about it. And I ended up actually just deciding to try and do it myself and got very, very lucky, uh, again, just through meeting people and conversation. Um, I managed to be brought on board a, a film via a film composer that I'd become friendly with called Simon Boswell. He brought me on board a film that he was working on and that was my first film. And so then I set set up a company off the back of that film and um the rest yeah. is history there we had it the rest is history yeah would you say that there was uh, a lucky break and an element of luck or would you say it was kind of sheer grit and determination or a mixture of both I think it's a mixture of of a lot of things if I look at my first opportunity in the music industry in that in that independent label I think that was lucky because it was someone that I that I met who happened to know there was a job going there and kind of gave me a little tip off so I could give them a call and find out about it. So that was fortuitous. But I think that's one of the things that I love about the music industry. And, and, we, and even though it's dramatically changed now, it's, it, I think it's still, it still has this. There's still a lot of independent companies that are willing to give people a chance and I think I knocked on the door and and I was young and enthusiastic and persistent and driven and they could see that so they gave me a chance and I I think that's brilliant about the industry so 
I think that it does suffer as in industry from a lot of like um, who you know and access into the industry. Getting your first break is really tricky. Um, and for me, I definitely benefited from being able to get my foot in the door through connections, which I'm sort of well aware of. But you still then have to prove yourself and be determined and work hard and be proactive. And Yeah. And you have to be in, you have to position yourself to get these lucky breaks. You know, I don't believe that they just come to people out of nowhere. I think it's putting yourself in a range of positions that make you open to getting the breaks that may come from contacts or may just come from luck. But I think yeah, absolutely. young and enthusiastic and determined are three, I mean, young is a great word but if you're not young you're not young so so let's not use that one but (laughs) enthusiastic and determined I think are really really good words um so I think for anybody in the creative industries uh, particularly in music if you can focus on being enthusiastic and determined in your um communications I think that that's a really really good starting point but so when it comes to um sync Who are the different people? Like, what are the different job roles that actually um, make this happen? Well, I guess simply the industry is sort of split into two. So there's the sync side of it, which essentially is all the kind of rights holders and artists and writers. and, And then the other side of it is the music supervisors. So it's sort of very simply split into those two areas. So is there something that's also an agent that happens in between those two roles? So I would sort of still group those into the kind of sync side of things. I guess I guess a big difference in a way is that as a music supervisor, we're in a sort of slightly funny role in the sense that I kind of consider myself music industry, yet we are paid by our clients who are you know, the film and TV production companies, ad agencies, etc. Whereas on the other side of it, obviously the rights holders, it's your, you're generating your income from the music that's used. And the same as an agent, assuming you're talking about the, the sort of reps that are set up to represent different kind of independent labels, publishers or um, artists, they operate very similarly, I guess, to a label or publisher, just in the sense that they're representing the artist and the writer and seeking placements for them and then generating their income from those placements. Yeah, because I think something I hear a lot from new artists is I've got someone looking after my sync side or Mm -hmm. I've been contacted by somebody that wants to look after my sync side. So in that situation, do you think that they've probably been contacted by an independent agent that is just being the go-between between between people like you and and people like them? Yeah, quite possibly. And and there are um, quite a few companies now that are set up to offer that service. And it's great. And we, our relationships are obviously incredibly important like how we access music professionally how we discover our music is in some ways also a more personal thing that would be through blogs and radio and people we know but professionally kind of how we discover our music and access music is all through our relationships in the music industry and those those entities that or individuals that are set up to represent Um, what's normally more kind of independent artists are great for us because there is so much great music out there and we can't 
possibly access it all from all those individual artists because we just wouldn't have the the time to be able to do that so if there's a good um, entity that's set up to then that has then they've selected those artists and they're representing them um, that's a, a very useful way for us to access independent music and is there is there a typical way that that this relationship happens or are you you know is it happening with independent artists signed artists or is the way that you work generally director publishers or director label um or do you have other kind of relationships that that help find them our relationships are really broad i mean yes of course I, the the sort of key one is with all the labels and publishers because the majority of them now have a sync department or a sync representative in some shape or form so that is obviously one of our our main relationships and where we license music from but it is also through artist managers through artists directly through composers directly we would never want to just funnel through one way it's, it's great also to to discover music from artists directly so as a independent artist, uh, imagine I'm an independent artist and I want to, you know, try and dip my toes into sync. Who would you recommend that I contact first? Where should I put my time? Well, I think the most important thing is just about taking the time to do your research, to figure that out for yourself, because it's going to be a different answer for each artist. I think if you recognise yourself that you do not have the time to be approaching music supervisors directly, then finding an agent is, a, you know, a, a rep, as we often call them, is, is definitely a good route. Um, and then I think it's just doing your research, because there are quite a few of them now, to try and find who feels the most legitimate, the most credible, active within the industry, and is representing music that feels like it's a good fit for you if you're contacting music supervisors directly then I think again it's just it's doing your research because I do think there can be that feeling of just trying to get it out there as much as you possibly can so you might sit there and send out 100 emails that afternoon and feel like brilliant you know I've sent 100 something's got to come from that but if you don't really understand who those 100 people are and what they do and how to approach each one of them, it's probably wasted work. So I'd say it's much better to scale down and then focus on 10 different people that you've done your research on. You understand what they do, so therefore you know how best to approach them and somehow they feel relevant to you and your music. What does a perfect email coming to your inbox look like from an emerging artist? You're gonna get you're gonna get a hundred of these, by the way, word word for word. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that prior to almost sending out that email, I think the most important thing as well to consider beyond who you're emailing, um, and knowing who they are, but is also if if you're a, a newer artist and say a self-releasing artist, is just is your music ready? to send to those people like send it when it it stands the best chance and and just send like your best track or tracks but don't sort of overwhelm I would say don't send demos but I say that sort of 
there's scenarios where you can send demos, but I would say if you don't know someone, don't send unfinished music, send your best finished music that you've got. And then in terms of like how to approach, again, I think it's highlighting why you're relevant to them. Whilst it's always nice if someone proves that they've done their research and they're saying, oh, I loved this that you did. And, you know, everyone loves a bit of like flattery. But at the same time, I think it's more just about showing that, that the music you're sending feels like it's it will resonate with that person based on the work that they they do and keep it relatively short and snappy I always like it if there's like a quite succinct overview of who that artist is so I'm quickly getting a good understanding and then I think the thing that will also capture someone's attention is is mentioning the key tastemakers so if you've had reviews or playlists if you can mention like being on nts or being in colors crack magazine gorilla versus bear pitchfork any of those that are quite sort of tastemaker kind of publications and radio stations etc then then just mention those in the email because they'll catch people's eye and kind of put them in bold and I know that advice has been given as well about mentioning other syncs that you've had but I would say for me I'm more engaged by that sort of thing than I am about syncs I mean there was a period of time where every week I'd get emails from people saying that they'd had their music in CSI and it's like, OK, great. I mean, that's probably good for you. And CSI is an incredibly successful series. But quite frankly, I don't really care if you've had your music in CSI. It doesn't resonate with me at all. Um, and actually was generally making me delete. So I think, again, it's like maybe looking at who someone is. If I was doing different types of shows, then maybe that would resonate with me. But personally, it didn't. So it's just it's knowing what to kind of name drop as well in in your email yeah and I think overall just I think there's so much of trying to be someone else or trying to be who you think you should be or write what you think you should write but I think you know I think it can be very clear when an artist is writing from the heart and they're giving you themselves which is you know the old adage that be yourself because everyone else is taken, I think, comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's that same old thing, isn't it? When, you, when you're dealing with busy people, they have short attention spans. And I think anything you can do to quickly get a sense of who an artist is, is what you want. Yeah, it's like when you land with your thumb on a, an Instagram and then you move it again. That's how short everyone's attention span is. That's like <laughs> yeah. less than three seconds. Yeah, yeah. So I like I like it sometimes if there's if there's an image of someone that's a, like a good image. You know, anything that kind of visually captures your eye as well is is good because we work in visual media, so we're all visual people as well as audio people. So that can be quite useful and not all kind of multiple links to everything. Too many clicks, you know. Dropbox folders of activity yeah do you know what? i'm funny about dropbox i can never get it to work but i think that's just me being a bit geriatric no, delete, but delete. i like um i like a, a good old like we transfer link is always good disco is now a platform that um a lot of music supervisors use so just a straightforward download link or a soundcloud link if it's if it's streaming or a link straight through to spotify if your music's there so all of those are good, but I think it's just, it's 
what you do to get someone to click in the first place. And I think that good overview that's quite short and sweet of who you are is the thing to kind of concentrate on and get right. What is it? It's your like 15 second elevator pitch or something. Isn't Not it? even that anymore. <laughs> I think that was probably. Yeah, yeah, that's old that school. Was yeah. Probably pre internet. <laughs> it's more like two and a half seconds. <laughs> yeah. So, someone I met, the an American person I met the other day said that we have attention spans of Q tips, which I quite liked. But I thought he was talking about the rapper. And I was like, what? Is he, is he very focused? He was talking about a cotton bud. <laughs> Either way, I'm confused, which... <laughs> but. <laughs> But yes, very short attention spans. Keep it short, keep it sweet. Three seconds, the opening line. Okay, so are you actually working with unsigned, unpublished, fully independent artists? Like, is this is this a step on the ladder that's achievable before you get any kind of deal? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think the majority of music supervisors are like music lovers. So whilst we work, we work across the board, across every type of music, old and new. And yeah, fine, we'll be licensing the Beatles one minute and then Dua Lipa the next minute. Naturally, we do license very well-known music and artists, but I personally get particularly excited and motivated by licensing unknown music and emerging artists and because we're also we are in our own way that that sort of DJ or that A&R that curator that wants to and and, and this, I don't mean this in an in an arrogant manner but like that tastemaker you want to feel like also you are discovering artists and putting them out there not just following the trends so we love to discover artists and new music and that and that ties into what I was saying about if someone's emailing me saying they've had loads of syncs that's less appealing to me than than just getting a sense of a new exciting artist that oh god they've you know they've been on colors or they've been here or that you know but but they're not really known that well yet um commercially and that that's exciting because you can get a kick out of being that music supervisor to place them before anyone else has and we're a little bit competitive and pretentious as well so it it works for us everybody's looking for that simon cow moment aren't they (laughs) (laughs) that's all this is so is it true that you don't really get paid for tv shows but you do for film adverts and branded content i would say not anymore because it's all dramatically changed and changing. And I think particularly in the UK, obviously big sort of successful TV series have, have been a, a thing in the US for, for a long time. But with the likes of the streaming platforms now, Netflix and Amazon Prime and Apple, for us in the UK now, suddenly TV production is, is hugely changed. So I think here we've always had sort of blanket agreements and alongside that, fairly minimal fees for TV uses. But now if you're clearing in the UK a a, a TV series that is for Netflix, um, then you are clearing music for worldwide TV uses and that will hold a certain value. So TV has really changed and... um, you can still generate decent decent fees for it. And film is just really varies in the UK because we have an incredibly low budget 
films, independent films, and then much, much bigger films, and, and the fees vary accordingly, really. And what sort of what sort of fees are we talking about here? Is it like hundreds of pounds an artist could make? Is it thousands of pounds, hundreds and thousands of pounds? It's, it's all of the above. I mean, generally, I'd like to think that most of it is more than hundreds. But at the same time, if you're talking about particularly low budget features or short films, then you might be looking more at sort of less than than a thousand pounds or such like. But I think it's you're, you're more likely in the in the thousands for TV and film use and then for advertising it will really vary but I think if you start talking about hundreds of thousands that is more for established artists because there's also it's not just you know how you how you value a copyright in the context of a sync placement has a lot of different factors but obviously one of those factors is if you are you know there's there's a value in the identity of, of an artist and what comes with that um so so then you might start to be in the hundreds of thousands for for certain mm. artists and presumably when an artist is further on in their career and signed and working with lots of co-writes and producers that budget is split a lot further than an independent artist that's say done it all themselves yeah definitely definitely I mean that that does come into play as well you know well with big pop tracks sometimes like our heart sinks because you suddenly look at all the different writers and rights holders and we're like oh lord we've got eight different publishers to get cleared in 48 hours for this track it's yeah and is that in terms of the, the kind of work that needs to be done in order to get it cleared off all of those people that's right yeah so we we have to and and this is another thing to always keep in mind when when you're sending your music is to um I know every music supervisor bangs on about metadata which is really boring but it is something that is really important if you to have to know who owns those rights like who the writers are and who each of those writers is represented by in terms of publishing we have to make sure that 100% of the publishing is cleared and that the master is cleared as well and alongside that we have to consider any union payments for musicians as well we have to be very vigilant and make sure all those different aspects are cleared so it's very important if you're an independent artist to make sure that a music supervisor isn't put off by something because they feel like it's a bit murky not quite sure where those rights are sitting or if 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 an artist is representing themselves and they're very confidently telling you and including within the metadata where those rights sit who controls those then that is that's really important. And is that, uh, so for an independent artist, where are they going to be logging all of that data? Is that something they're doing on PRS or if they're even kind of pre that? Well, I, I think we would always encourage having everything registered through PRS and through PPL. I mean, there's certain, if, if you want to have your music included on, say, a TV series that's going out on the BBC then you have to make sure that that is all registered but I think for anything really it's to be encouraged so yeah have it registered but also just have having the metadata who owns that publishing if it's you then just 
put that it's self-owned by the writer 100% and then put in the contact details so that straight away you've got an email, you've got a phone number. If you're trying to clear something quickly, you can see that you're going to be able to get to the right people or person quickly. And I think, you know, for anyone, no matter what stage, if you're writing music, registering it on PRS and PPL are like, you know, the first things you need to do just to be covering yourself for the future. And so that when you do get opportunities like this, it's all plain sailing, because when it's not, I'm sure that is a way to kind of put people like you off and a deal could could fall through. Yeah, absolutely. And and also then if you do get that sync, then you want to make sure that everything's registered so that you're benefiting from it. Make sure that you're getting your royalties. And also, you know, beyond that as well, beyond registering it, make sure that you're benefiting from it by making sure that you're then connecting that use to you as an artist, to your socials, make sure you can Shazam it, all those sort of things. Just just kind of do your admin around all of that to make sure you're benefiting from that use. And have you had any uh, music licensing horror stories that would be juicy for us today? <laughs> I mean, there's the very kind of boring day-to-day horror stories for a music supervisor is suddenly discovering that you've got 10% of the publishing that's unaccounted for. That, that's not a particularly sexy horror story. And it used to keep, it was the sort of thing when I first started as a music supervisor years ago that would actually like keep me awake at night. But um, we've had lots of things, I and mean, we worked on a, a film recently where all the content was crowdsourced and featuring um, people from all over the world. So we were having to track down what that track is in the background from this boy in Egypt and things like that, and then having to clear copyrights from other territories that have very different sort of clearance rules and stuff to hear. So, yeah, we, we had some crazy things of needing to um, to get individuals sort of to go in the room with a writer and kind of get a paper contract in front of them and try and get them to sign it. Yeah, I mean, it's it can be quite difficult because because I think if people don't really understand what we do and that it's not just a matter of us agreeing to using a track, but then everything that needs to come after that, all the legal side of it is sometimes a bit overwhelming for independent artists and and writers because suddenly you think, oh gosh, I don't understand this contract and it can look a bit scary and overwhelming. So yeah, we, we, we deal with a lot of that. It's actually very complicated, the legal side of the music industry, isn't it? It is. It is complicated and it's not particularly exciting so it's um and and as an artist it's probably like the last thing you want to do is sit yeah. down and read through a synchronization agreement you know it's all like gobbledygook isn't it so yeah it's something to keep in mind and i can imagine that you can get like can you get really attached because i imagine and tell me if i'm wrong but it's a kind of feeling that you get when you've got you've matched the right um music to the right visual and I can imagine that you can get really attached to a certain song and then if it doesn't go right, that could probably be, you know, really upsetting for you as supervisors. Yeah, it is. I think for us, what we're, you know, we are generally, um, we're generally also kind of tapping into someone else's vision. So we have to have our kind of vision alongside someone else's that's, you know, often the director or the showrunner or the agency creatives if it's an, an ad so we have to kind of tap into their vision and then 
bring our vision alongside it. And yeah, and so sometimes it's that it's your own ideas, which then the deciding party in the end doesn't necessarily share your your same feelings about something, which you have to deal with a lot um, and, and make a choice as to when you feel so strongly that you need to just gently persuade someone or when you need to let go of it and move on. But even more than that is dealing with a director wanting something that then you can't deliver them. And that's always quite difficult as well because you can't find it or it doesn't exist or yeah I mean obviously to a certain degree not being able to afford something is one of the the kind of easiest things to explain it's much harder if you're saying well there's an uncleared sample that we can't get cleared in time or when it's like more of a copyright issue you can just see that people are thinking hold on can't possibly not be able to use something simply because of a copyright thing just sort it out and sometimes you can but sometimes you can't and and that can be quite frustrating so when i when i talk to independent like artists i always say as well look if you're going to send me music please don't send me tracks with unclear samples in them because it's just going to um it's going to be disappointing for everyone involved you know and i imagine you're quite used to working with people that are quite good at getting what they want oh yeah very much yeah we we have to deal with with a lot of of demanding people and people with high expectations and and we want to be able to you know to live up to those expectations but sometimes just um copyright is complex so we do end up with complexities that can cause problems yeah do you feel a little bit like a detective sometimes oh yeah definitely yeah, yeah. there's definitely um with certain things and having to, to track things down it's it is detective work right so i know there's been amazing advice so far but if you were a brand new artist and there were three things that you could do today in order to get you closer to your first sync, what would those three things be? I think just be honest with yourself and be selective about what is actually good enough to send out and ready to send out. Then do your research, know who you're sending your music to um, and get your messaging and your approach, get that down. And then I think it is the boring stuff of like, do your admin, make sure that things are registered, make sure you've got your metadata in there, make sure that you know that if suddenly you do get a bite on something, you know you could get that track cleared quickly for whoever wants it. And quality over quantity yeah. in terms of your outreach. Definitely. Cool. Well, Abby, that has been amazing and so useful. I think it's just brilliant that you have been working in this industry for such a long time and are doing such amazing things, yet you still have such an interest in emerging talent and um, that side of it. Thank I think you. there's been so much amazing advice and gems in there for from people that just, you know, whether you understand sync or not, whether you're ready to get your first sync or whether you're ready to be Abby's next uh, artist for the John Lewis advert. But where can people find you if they want to read more about what you do or get in touch? We have our own website with all our contact details on there. So we're, we're quite easy to contact each of us from from the team have our LinkedIn pages. So yeah, we make ourselves pretty available to contact, which is why we do get contacted a lot and which is why it's really important to contact us in the right way because unfortunately we do end up a bit overwhelmed and can't get back to, to everyone. And what's that What's that website? Oh, lilamusic.co.uk. I wouldn't let you get away with not giving that. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Abby. That's been amazing. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Girls to the Front podcast. You can find Abby at Abby Leland on Twitter 
or at lelandmusic.co.uk. Join me next week on the Girls to the Front podcast when we'll be looking at how to find a manager with MMF's Levisa Atterbrand. It's going to be an amazing episode packed full of tips. So make sure you're here. Again, please do subscribe, download and review this podcast because every time you do that, it helps us get a little bit further up the charts and gets us out to more artists like you.